Today we begin a new series of sermons uh, that we've entitled The Important Business of Forgiveness. Of course, it's on forgiveness, and just as the title implies, this is a really important uh, business, this business of forgiveness. There are a few things in life that I think we have to master, and uh, one of those things for sure in my book, and I think in Christ's book, (laughs) is learning how to forgive and how to be forgiven. So we're going to spend five weeks on that. Uh, Another reason why I think it's important is because as our church goes through this time of transition, it's really like a new beginning. And oftentimes it's good for us to take stock of relationships that we may have in the church that may need some uh, work. And maybe you need to extend forgiveness or talk to some people about your relationship with them. So I think this is an important topic. I'm excited about this series. And today we take a look at Uh, One of my favorite parables, which is saying a lot because I love the parables, and it's the parable of the unmerciful servant that we find uh, in, we will be reading the version from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. And before I do that, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for, um, for this amazing parable that we're about to explore and what it tells us about ourselves about others, about God, and about this very important business of forgiveness. Lord, I pray for uh, anyone listening, whether uh, they're listening here in the East Bay or points beyond, I I pray that um, this would be a helpful message and maybe could actually free some people from um, the bonds that, that grip us when we don't forgive. So, Lord, teach us, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray with great confidence in the strong name of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So here it is, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? Up to seven times? Now, you've got to know something that's kind of interesting here. In that time, if you forgave someone three times, uh, it was huge. And so Peter is trying to be very magnanimous here by saying up to seven times. And Jesus surprises him with this answer. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or as some translations say, 70 times seven times. Therefore, then he tells the parable, the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, imagine that, that's a lot of gold, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell fell to his knees and begged him, 
Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went out and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Man, can you believe this guy? I mean, really, kind of a jerk, don't you think? I mean, it makes you mad just thinking about what he does, doesn't it? What hard-heartedness. I mean, not a a shed of grace, no mercy, not a, a hint of forgiveness. Just pure, unadulterated selfishness. It's hard to believe someone could act in such a way, don't you think? This guy, now get this, he owes this king what amounts to be like a gazillion dollars. It's a huge amount of money. So big that he really could never pay it off in his lifetime. But the servant has this crazy notion, as we see in the story, that he could somehow pay back his master what he owed him. And he begs, gets down on his knees, and begs for time and patience. Please, your majesty, just give me a little bit of time, and I will, I will repay the whole debt. Now, the wise king knows better. He knows that there is no, no amount of work uh, that this servant could do to earn enough money in his lifetime to repay the debt. And so, through this shocking, unbelievable, almost scandalous act of pure grace. It's a beautiful act. The king forgives the debt. He, he totally erases it. Here's what he does. He takes the ledger book and he just, he throws it. Pardoned. Erased. Thrown out. I've got to ask you today, have you ever been on the receiving end of such mercy and grace, such an amazing gesture of forgiveness? That huge debt, that really unpayable debt, completely and unequivocally forgiven. Now, this is a surprise in this parable, isn't it? It's a surprising act. And I have to tell you something about the parables. They're full of surprises. And the biggest surprise of the parable often unlocks the real meaning, the message, the true message of the parable. Now, this is surprising. But I think we're even more surprised by the next event in the story. This forgiven servant is set free, and before he barely even gets out of the palace, walking down the stairs probably, he sees another servant, a fellow servant, who owes him about a hundred pieces of silver. 
or denarii, which is a much smaller debt, probably three months of wages. And here's what he does, which is surprising. He sees this servant, he grabs him by the throat, and he says, pay me what you owe me. And as the forgiven servant did just a few moments ago, this poor servant, the second service servant, falls on his knees and begs for mercy and more time. And almost echoing the same words, he says, please give me time and I will pay back everything that you, I owe you. But this forgiven servant who just experienced this amazing act of grace shows no mercy. He has this servant thrown into prison without so much as a hint of grace. It's shocking behavior, isn't it? Like the other servants who observed the behavior and reported to the the king, they were outraged, and so are we. You, You really can't believe it because you would think someone who had just been forgiven such a huge debt would be so relieved and, and so happy that when he saw this other servant, he, he would have just said, oh, don't worry about it. I, you know, it's okay. I forgive you. But instead, he doesn't show him any grace at all and throws him into prison. Now, the king has a reaction. Now, you tell me, if you were the king, what would you do? If you were the king who had just poured such grace to that, into that first servant's life and then heard how little grace he extended then to the other servant, what would you do? Well, I, I think I would do what the king did. Throw him into prison. Toss that ingrate into prison until he paid that debt. And that is exactly what the king does. He hears about the behavior of the unmerciful servant and he hands them over, hands them over to the jailers and listen to this, to be tortured. As we read this parable, we, we have a number of reactions to it, don't we? And this is what often happens in parables. There's kind of a first reaction and then we sit with the story for a while and then there's a second reaction that's even stronger. You know, in this one, we find ourselves, you know, surprised and really, uh, really touched by the kindness of the king and then shocked and even angered by the unmerciful, the ingratitude and lack of grace shown by the unmerciful servant. We are kind of glad when the guy gets thrown into prison, glad that justice is done. And then, if we sit with the parable for a while, we realize there's a secondary, kind of more profound reaction that sets in, don't we? And this secondary reaction, it makes us a bit uncomfortable. It pierces our heart a bit. It convicts us because we realize that more often than not, or care to admit, we are very much like the unmerciful servant. We are the one. You see, in this story, God is the the king, obviously. And we are the ones who have been recipients of such extraordinary grace and forgiveness. The scandalous grace. And then we are offended by someone and we withhold the grace 
that we received from God. Man, in my mind, probably more than any other parable, Jesus kind of reels us in, into the story as it's going right along, getting involved in the parable, getting angry at the unmerciful servant, and then bam. We realize that this somewhat unsavory character is us. Wow. Powerful parable, isn't it? It's a convicting parable that applies to every one of us because every one of us has to forgive or be forgiven almost on a daily basis. And it's an important parable because this is important business. This important business of knowing how to forgive. Now, we come across it all the time, don't we? Today, as I read in the New York Times, I just kind of noted to myself all the stories that had some aspect of forgiveness in them. It was uncanny, so many. And we know that in our lives every day, uh, almost on a daily basis, we have to forgive a slight or uh, someone not showing up for a lunch or someone who says something mean to us that hurts us a little more than we had anticipated. You know, all those little things. And then there are those times when we have to deal with the really big things in life, those hurts, those, those sins committed against us, that if we don't handle them in a healthy and unforgiving and a forgiving way, man, they can ruin our lives. They can haunt us. Much like this character, character in the in the story in the parable, torture us. Um, Don Ashburn and I taught this class for Lent, the uh, Vanishing Grace, and there was a story in that book about a couple in in Canada whose twenty-something daughter was just brutally murdered, um, horrible crime, and they were uh, Mennonites. And they realized very quickly that if they didn't extend forgiveness, and they didn't even know who had done it for years, but if they didn't start forgiving that crime, that hurt, was going to ruin their lives if they didn't forgive. And so they made the decision very early on, we have to forgive this person, whoever it is. I know in counseling people over the years, almost always, almost always something that someone comes in to talk about has some aspect in, of forgiveness in it. So it's important that we learn how to forgive and that we forgive not once or twice or three times or seven times, but that forgiveness, graciousness, becomes who we are instead of what we do once in a while. In other words, we don't just forgive, but we become forgiving people. I think this is what Jesus is saying when he says, oh, Peter, not, not three times, but not seven times, but 70 times seven. I think he's implying, my hope for you, Peter, and for all my children, is that they become forgiving people. And when we do that, it has a tremendous impact on our lives. So how do we do it? How do we become forgiving, generous people? Well, over these next 
four weeks after this, we'll look at that. It's a big topic. But let me, um, let me make some observations from this story. And can I say first that Jesus wouldn't command us to forgive if we weren't able to do it. It's not easy. And it can get very complicated. And that's why we're taking five weeks. But I do believe that this parable, if we realize some things, holds some keys to forgiveness. We realize a couple things about ourselves and a couple things about God. First thing we need to realize is this. We need to realize that we have, all of us, have a huge debt. We are all the first servant. You see, the problem with the unmerciful servant is that he never realized, really, just how big his debt was. Did you catch that little detail? Here he faced paying off this enormous debt that was really unpayable, and he said to the king, give me a little time, and I'll pay you back everything I owe. He's blind to the amount of debt that he owes to the king. He's deceiving himself. And Jesus is giving us some tough news in this parable. He's telling us that we are so lost, and this we find in all kinds of parables. We are so morally bankrupt that, as the reformers say, we are utterly depraved that none of us can repay the debt that we owe to God. The only way we can get out of the mess we are in is if the king, out of just pure grace and mercy and nothing else, throws out the ledger book. You know, it's interesting that one of the, uh, over the last 2,000 years, if theologians have tried to explain uh, the work of Christ on the cross, atonement, one of the models or one of the theories is this financial model that somehow Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sin on the cross. It's probably one of the most, four, one of the four most popular theories of atonement. We're all in the same condition. As uh, Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is, this is really hard. This is a hard truth for some people to understand. I think for all of us to understand. But it's the beginning of new life in Christ. It's hard to see our own sinfulness, our own brokenness. And so they have a hard time forgiving others. They can't grasp the fact that they owe a great deal of debt to God. I remember talking to a woman once who was really trying to forgive her husband for having an affair. She couldn't forgive him. No matter how hard she tried, um, she just couldn't do it. And as I talked with this woman and counseled her over a couple times, I realized this was the problem. She really didn't realize her own debt. She really didn't realize her own sinfulness. Oh, for sure. She realized, you know, I have done some wrong things in my life. But overall, she saw herself as a very good moral person, which she was. And yet, she didn't realize the enormous debt that God had forgiven her. Um, And so my prayer for her was that somehow God would reveal to her to set her free the own debt that she owned to God. There's a second thing we must realize about ourselves. We cannot repay the debt. And the only solution is what we call grace. You know what's very interesting about this parable? We think that the 
the servant, the first servant, is thrown back into prison because he doesn't forgive the second servant. And that's how I thought for years about this. And I read this book by an Episcopalian priest named Robert Capon, who it really made me think about it in a new way. He said, you know what really sends this guy to this torture and back to prison? It's the sin of still living with a ledger or a bookkeeping mentality that somehow our lives to be live, are to be lived as ledgers, that we keep score, that God keeps score, that we keep score of our relationship with God, just like this woman did, uh, and that we keep score with others. We're scorekeepers. We have a ledger book. And we are okay as long as we're on the positive side in our own minds. And this is the sin of pride, of somehow thinking that if we're just good enough, if we do enough good works, this is works righteousness, and keep ourselves out of trouble, then we will be able to repay the debt that we owe God somehow. In fact, I won't have a very big debt because in, in the ledger book, um, because I will always end up on the positive side. Now, I think what this parable is saying to us is, no, don't live life that way. The sin that sends this guy to this torture is his refusal to accept grace, to accept the life of grace, to accept, as it, in other parables, the invitation to the party of grace. And you can see this in his relationship with the, the king, God. I, I'll pay you back. I'll work hard enough. I'll pay you back. And he doesn't realize that there's no way of paying back the debt. Jesus wants us to get in our heads that there is nothing we can do to experience the grace of God except to realize how lost we are. I, I think of the first beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Eugene Peterson has a great translation that blessed are, are you when you come to the end of your rope, when you come to the end of thinking that somehow you can pay back to God. You know, it, interesting for me, this is very personal for me. You know, when I came to this realization, when I really began to experience grace in my life and be freed from this ledger mentality, this scorekeeping mentality in my walk with God, in my walk with others. It's when I tried to forgive someone for something and I couldn't do it. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how much I prayed, I just, I couldn't forgive. And I asked God, God, please show me what I need to do. And here's what God showed me. He didn't actually allow me to give me the power to forgive, but instead he showed me my own debt. And when I began to realize my own debt, my own sinfulness, I began to forgive. I had to realize my own incapability of repaying the debt that I owed to God and accept God's offer to throw out the ledger book. The last realization we need to come through, come to that I see in this parable is we need to realize we have a God. We really do, folks. We have a God who throws out the ledger book. 
takes it and I don't know, throws it in the ocean, throws it out the window, throws it out. And when we come to faith in Christ, this is what happens. Past, present, future, forgiven. That is the good news of the gospel. You see, really the gospel, the good news is this. We are more broken, more sinful than we would ever dare believe, but also more loved by a loving God than we could ever imagine. Those are the two parts of the gospel. Probably the hardest thing for so many people to realize is that God really is like this. And he is eager to forgive and to set us free. And when we really begin, begin to embrace that truth in our lives, you know what happens, just like with me, we begin to find that it's a little easier to be forgiving with others. In fact, here's the truth of the parable, really. If we have a hard time forgiving others, that is probably an indication to us that we really don't know the forgiveness of God that we really don't know the grace of God. That somehow it has not had its full effect in our lives. That's really the primary and the very simple message of this parable. We forgive when we know we have been forgiven. And the opposite is also true. When we begin to forgive the experience of God's forgiveness becomes even more real in our lives. That's what I think in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. That's the truth here. And it's the key to forgiveness. You know, I want to close with a reading from a great book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And he, he writes this. He says, I never find forgiveness easy. That's true. And rarely do I find it completely satisfying. In other words, it never really seems like you tie the bow on it. Nagging, nagging injustices remain, and the wounds still cause pain. I have to approach God again and again, yielding to him the residue of what I thought I had committed to him long ago. Now here's what I want you to hear. I do so because the Gospels make clear the connection. God forgives my debts as I forgive my debtors. And the reverse is also true. Only by living in the stream of God's grace will I find the strength to respond with grace toward others. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dealing so honestly with us in this parable. We know that the truth sometimes hurts, but we also know that the truth will set us free. We know you do show us these things to leave us not feeling condemned and guilty and, and shameful, but rather that we might grasp again the riches of grace. And once again, hear the words of the king, all is forgiven. 
In the glory of that restored relationship, realizing that this vast debt has been set aside on our behalf, we can turn to our brother and our sister and say, I'll forgive and live. We pray that we may find application and practical ways ways, uh, in the lives of each one of us to live the truths of this gospel, of this parable. In Jesus' name we pray.